0: Marketing is not a dirty word. As a leader of a nonprofit organization or its marketing department, you may have been told that investments in marketing run contrary to your organization's mission. At the very least, you may feel that any spending can't be directly tied to the mission, runs counter to the good you accomplish in the world. Well, we're going to talk about that today. This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and my guest today is Stu Swineford. Stu is the co-author of Mission Uncomfortable, how nonprofits can embrace purpose-driven marketing to survive and thrive. He's also the co-founder of Relish Studios, a digital marketing firm, and he's also the host of his own podcast, Relish This. Stu, taking your time.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me on today, Bob. I really appreciate it.
0: A fair disclosure, Stu and I are working together on a website. They do awesome work, so I can attest to that right up front. But, oh, I you know, appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. You know, one of the things that I think that we wanted to cover today is, one, we want to talk about purpose-driven marketing, and then the pillars of purpose-driven marketing, which are attract, connect, bond, and inspire. So, Stu, you know, maybe the first thing that we want to dig into is your thoughts on purpose-driven marketing.
1: Oh, well, thanks, Bob. So purpose-driven marketing is a phrase that that we kind of came to over the course of a few years where we're really trying to give people the idea that marketing shouldn't just be an activity that you spend money on and check a box, but is something that should return an outcome. So. A lot of people think about marketing as a cost and one of the things that we've tried to establish in purpose-driven marketing is that it's more of an investment. It's something that you're doing to either run experiments or prove a hypothesis or tackle a challenge that you're having with your organization. And there should be an outcome attached to that, and it should be a positive outcome. And that's what purpose-driven marketing is all about. I think purpose-driven marketing can actually be applied to both for-profit and nonprofit profit businesses. It's really marketing that has a very specific goal in mind. And we try to create all of the mechanisms by which you can attain that goal. In the context of Mission Uncomfortable, the book that I wrote you know, it's really geared toward those businesses in the nonprofit sector specifically, but the kind of the purpose-driven sector additionally to try and help them fuel growth.
0: You know, fair disclosure too, I read your book. Thank you very much for providing the copy. And I think about, you know, in the nonprofit arena for the folks that are in charge of marketing, trying to identify who their their avatar or who are their ideal donor and or client might be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we usually start, these discussions with an exercise that we call the values, vision and mission exercise. And it kind of takes some nonprofits a second to wrap their arms around it because their entire MO is around values, vision and mission, but really making sure that that culture is, is intact and it's defined and everyone has a North star so that we know kind of what direction that we're going. Then when we work for for for-profit businesses, we do an exercise that we call find the money. And this can be something that a nonprofit can do as well. And essentially it's looking back at your prior performance, if you have historical data to look at, and finding out information about your volunteers, your donors, You know who are these people that are kind of rising to the top that tend to produce the best outcomes for your organization and how can you get in front of more of those. And then as you mentioned, the persona exercise then kind of follows on the heels of that, where after you've kind of established who these people are, you can look for similarities and develop a persona, develop an avatar for that kind of target audience that you're trying to reach, whether it's in the volunteer space or the donor space or the corporate donor space, or you know a repeat donor kind of uh, engagement, really trying to identify so that you understand when those people show up, you understand what they're looking for and what is motivating them that'll get them engaged with your organization.
0: You know, it's one of the things that hadn't crossed my mind, not that it should have, is I was thinking about you know, mostly donors and projects. And what I was not really keen on was the recognition of the contribution of the volunteer, Mm -hmm, absolutely and and, you know you were talking about even i think in the book you were talking about structuring you know this volunteer has been working on five separate projects in this one group this volunteer did 10 projects and so it's a mechanism to reward a continual effort which i thought was really quite remarkable
1: well really we talk about stakeholders and those can be anyone who has some kind of attachment to or engagement with your organization so that could be everybody from a Beneficiary. So, for example, if your nonprofit helps the homeless, the homeless person or a houseless person, rather, is probably a better way to, to put that. Has a touch point with your organization, and they may then, hopefully, through all of the activities that you're you're doing to help them out, they may become a volunteer. And at that point, you know, they have two touches with with your organization. From the volunteer standpoint, they may be able at some point to donate. They may become a repeat donor. They may become a board member at some point, or may have the opportunity. opportunity to rise up and bring a corporation that they're involved in in as a sponsor so those stakeholders become really valuable and you can escalate and move people around that ecosystem with your organization to you know it's easier to sell to or to get somebody to to take a second action than it is to get them to take a first action Mm -hmm. and so really being mindful and this was where the inspire phase kind of comes into play being very mindful of how to keep people engaged with your organization, even in off times, or even if you don't have any volunteer opportunities, how do you keep them engaged? How do you get them to spread the word? Just leveraging all of those assets to your advantage as a nonprofit.
0: I often think in the nonprofit space versus the for-profit space, it's really, you know, both of them have mission statements, both of them have things they're trying to do. And at the end of the day, it's really a tax code differential. A lot of the business principles that apply to nonprofits apply to for profit. And I think that recognition has come a long ways. I tell you what, you know, we were talking about the pillars of Mm purpose-driven marketing. And so we were talking about the avatar in round terms. And let's talk about those dig into the first activity, which would be the attract side.
1: Yeah. 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 So the attract phase is really when you, as an organization or a business like a nonprofit, is trying to gain someone's attention in some fashion, so that they come to your website or reach out in some way to take an action. So during that attract phase, and that could be everything from earned media through public relations, it could be you know what you're doing on social media, it could be blog posts, for example, that you're putting out there that provide value and people are interested in that exchange. Essentially, all of those elements that draw people to your organization it could be a sign on the side of a truck if you're out, in, out and about giving food away or picking up you know donations for your organization, but all of those places that you show up in that ecosystem, where you have the ability to to attract someone to your organization, that's essentially the attract phase, and it's it's very similar to what you might be doing in the in the for profit space as well.
0: You know, and I'm curious, you know, in thinking about the nonprofit sophistication, I'm sure it it varies. You know, as far as you know, SEO and paid traffic and so on. What's your experience and exposure to those types of techniques by nonprofits?
1: Well, nonprofits actually have some additional resources that either many aren't aware of or they're they don't have the capacity to take advantage of and one is is Google actually gives out grants to nonprofits and it, you have to qualify for the grant but the bar's pretty low on that and essentially Google gives you 10 grand a month in Google AdWords spend to play with to drive traffic back to your property. So, you know, that's an example of one of those things that maybe nonprofits aren't taking advantage of. The other thing that we certainly see and this comes into kind of this inbound methodology if anyone out there's done some research on inbound, it's providing something of value to use as a value exchange. And so, when we talk about value, this might be some sort of a checklist if you're an organization that does a lot of work in the outdoor space for example it might be talking about for example like leave no trace you know they put out these little cards that you can clip to your backpack that give you the all the information about leave no trace and how to you know get rid of a campfire that you've created or how to deal with waste or how to navigate not using Karens, for example. So all of these little things would come on a card they could give that card away as a PDF on the site for people who are exploring ways to be more thoughtful in the outdoors and essentially put that behind an exchange of information. So the idea is they're trying to build their email list so they get your email address in exchange for this valuable piece of information. And then now you're even more in their ecosystem. So they've managed to go from the attract phase through the connect phase. And now they can start to work on that bond phase where they're just really continuing to engage with that, that person after they've managed to connect with them.
0: You know, for if there's such a thing as a typical nonprofit, but let's say you're shooting at the median of the nonprofit space, do you think that there's a lot of knowledge in that space about landing pages and the various mechanisms to take and connect with these potential
1: folks? Well, one of the things we see a lot is nonprofits have a limited budget, a limited staff, And, you know, and sometimes a little bit limited experience in the marketing piece. And that's where we kind of try to position ourselves as somebody who can really help them out. One of the larger things that we see happening is the reliance upon a single landing page. Usually that landing page isn't designed particularly well, and it's trying to serve a variety of purposes. So it's trying to be the contact form and the landing page from some specific ask that they've done to donate, for example, or to get on a mailing list. They're trying to do too many things with one single page. And so one of the things that we do recommend is tailoring those landing pages for specific asks and potentially specific audiences. So going back to the Google grants idea, if one were to take advantage of that program one would hopefully not drive people just to the homepage, but to this landing page. And the ad that you ran would say something very specific. So for example, you know, we're looking to to increase donations by, you know, to get, let's say that you're a nonprofit and you're trying to get a hundred thousand dollars in donations in order to buy a piece of equipment. So instead of just sending people to a generic landing page that says donate now, what you would, ideally do is set up a second landing page that is speaking very specifically to that ask that you made in Google. So that landing page would talk about this piece of equipment. It would tell a story about how much good you're going to be able to do if once this piece of equipment is purchased and how many people you're going to be able to help through access to this piece of equipment and then ask for the donation and maybe make some suggestions on $20 will get us you know, we'll get us this much closer, really creating a story around that and not being afraid to let that landing page actually help reinforce what you asked for in the ad. You know, that's where we see a huge disconnect happening in the nonprofit space is that they tend to just send directly to a page that just says donate now. And then they reuse that page for a variety of campaigns.
0: You know, and, and not being in the the marketing world like you are, I would Imagine that there's a lot of prof- for-profit and nonprofits that try to use one landing page.
1: Yeah, it's pretty common. There are a few fairly standard mistakes that get made on landing pages, and and the first is is asking before you have permission to ask. So the idea that was kind of hammered into everybody's head as a marketer back in the 80s and 90s was get to the sale um, you know reducing the number of clicks etc and i think that that those are all great pieces of advice if taken with a grain of salt on a landing page remembering that a, a nonprofit in particular has an uphill battle so there's friction at every step so overcoming that friction is really one of the challenges that needs to be kind of top of mind on a landing page one of the biggest things we see is either too many different asks. So leaving the navigation up there is is a pretty common thing that we see. You want to try to keep people from being distracted, but you also don't want to necessarily jump to the donate now immediately because people can smell marketing and what they want to do is engage with, they don't want to engage with a marketing machine, they want to engage with a person. And so creating opportunities to tell a story, stripping out, As much design as you can actually tends to work really well in the nonprofit space, which is a little bit contrary to what one would think. But really just getting to the emotions that people have that are going to drive that decision and reinforcing those emotions would be the, you know, some of the things that we would highly recommend for a landing page.
0: Do you think that that in the the nonprofit space that they've really started to engage with the storytelling, what their story is?
1: The storytelling component tends to be, and I know you're a big fan of Donald Miller and his story brand methodology. The storytelling in the nonprofit space is a, is a little bit of a challenge. I, I think it's actually a little bit of a challenge everywhere, but uh, but in the nonprofit space, it's a little bit of a challenge because the nonprofit itself, the people who are running it tend to position themselves as kind of the heroes and, and the people who donate tend to be portrayed as helpers. And What we would recommend is attempting to flip that narrative, having the nonprofit be the guide that helps the people who are donating or volunteering be the heroes in that scenario. And so from a storytelling standpoint, making it more about the people who are engaging and how they're helping the constituents or the recipients of the nonprofit's benefits. If you can weave that story that you're going to see some great benefits to that
0: from my observation i think that's a pervasive problem where there's a confusion on who's the hero and who's the guide and you know i just think about i've got relatives that have volunteered on the rocky mountain trail Mm -hmm. for a very very long time and you know and you think about all the good and the work and all the stuff that they do on the trail and i don't know that there's a lot of storytelling or visual aids or videos when they're on the trail and the camaraderie of being on the trail with like-minded donors and, Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And so, you know, for the folks that are listening in the nonprofit space, that part about the guide hero shift, that's gold. I mean, it's just straight up. If there was nothing else out of this episode other than that, that's absolutely, you know, invaluable, I think, but that's, you know,
1: it's a subtle shift. And once you kind of see it, it becomes really obvious, but it can be a little bit of a challenge to, to get to. And that's, you know, that's why we're here. We are happy to, to talk through that with people at any point. And if they need some help crafting it, we can help with that too.
0: Yeah. You know, it's kind of that thing. It's not about me. It's about them. Yeah, so exactly. Kind of deal. So now going down to, so we've got the connect part and the landing pages trying to get that all sorted out. Mm-hmm. You know, then there's that bonding portion or bonding with the inside the organization. What's right. that all about?
1: So the bond phase is really where you cement that relationship. And I like to think, and again, this isn't, none of this information is stuff that necessarily I came up with. It's just, I'm able to kind of package it all together for people, but relationships tend to be created over time. So it's interactions over time. And if you think about how the strongest relationships that you've built in your lifetime kind of came about, they typically weren't fall in love at first sight and become best buddies you know unless you're six they tend to be established over time and it's, it's you ask a question and you get an answer and you ask another question and they ask you a question and and there's a back and forth that occurs and if during the bond phase it's really a matter of trying to create up opportunities to have conversations and to keep conversations going and so as somebody has raised their hand for example to say yeah I'm I'm interested in your organization and would like to learn more or I'd like you know this pdf that you have about going back to our outdoor metaphor or our outdoor scenario you know with this pdf that that has information about how i can be a better safer camper you know those people have raised their hand and have said hey i think your organization's neat and i'd like to be attached to it in some fashion so the bond phase really comes into play when when you start those those interactions and you start trying to just provide people with additional things of value. So if they download a a brochure about camping, maybe you send them a brochure or ask them if they'd like to have a brochure about fire safety or how to build a trail or things like that. And the reason I said, ask them for it is this is one place where people just tend to shove stuff at their audience, as opposed to asking what things they might be interested in and when you ask that actually creates another touch. So if i say hey bob if i just sent you my book and you woke up one day and the, your my book was in front of you you'd be like what's this thing? why why is this in front of me versus if i said hey bob would you like a copy of my book and then i wait and you say yeah that sounds pretty pretty neat. So there are two interactions. So if you, if you kind of take that relationships are interactions over time idea, you know, I just enabled a couple more in that journey.
0: You know, somewhere in conversation, there was a ratio that somebody says is you basically 80% educate and 20% ask is kind of what they said. And I don't know if that's a true number, but the short answer is more education, more providing than asking. Is what I've heard.
1: Yeah, we used to have a ratio, well we still use this ratio and it's typically geared towards social media. So this would maybe come back into that, that attract phase. But if you are putting out 15 posts, so let's say you have a single channel, whether that's Twitter or Facebook or whatever your channel, let's just pick Facebook. So you're going to put out 15 posts on Facebook over the course of let's say let's say 5 weeks. So 3 posts a week. The ratio of information to ask should really be 10 or actually 14 to 1 <laughs> in that regard. Mm-hmm. And 10 of those can be what we what are thought of as kind of maven informational items. So those can be you know some other blog post or some article that you read that you think your audience might be interested in. Add a little bit of flavor to that to explain why you think that one's a neat article that they should spend their time reading. But it's not something that you had to create out of thin air, right? So 10 of those could be that, four of them could be things that you did come come up with out of thin air. So those tend to be even more thought leadership pieces. And then one could be an ask. So donate now. Now, I think nonprofits have a tendency to ask either too much or way too little. So in that 10-4-1 ratio, we might bump the ask up to 2 and drop the maven down to 9. You know, maybe the ask goes to three. So, you know, once every couple of weeks you're, you're asking. But ultimately, if you position yourself as someone who truly wants to help and is willing to provide information or resources or, you know, that stuff that people need to make their lives more rich, then when you do the, have the ask, people tend to raise their hand a little bit more effectively.
0: The thing that strikes me, as we talk, you and I have talked a lot over the past few months, you know, on another project. And I don't know how much is you – know, people don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're talking about the various ratios. How do you take and nurture the relationship? You know, at the end of the day, you know, you're trying to take and help a nonprofit pursue their mission and, and accomplishment and help, you know, one way or another. And in your experience in dealing with nonprofits, how much of what you know – do you think they even recognize or know?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I've been doing marketing in some fashion, some form or another since the early nineties. And I started writing copy for a bike company. in And
0: Butler. for people that don't know what writing copy means, because <laughs> a lot of people don't know, go, oh, you're a cop. Is that copyrighted? No. What does that mean?
1: <laughs> well, it was a, a catalog company. So that tells you how you know, a physical catalog uh, tells you how old I am. But I was writing product descriptions and hooks to try and get people to take action. And there was some creative writing involved in that as well in terms of ad copy and and things of that nature. So that was how I started back in the day. And so, yeah, over the course of th- of the last 30 or so years, you know, things have changed a lot. That's one of the reasons why I love marketing because it's so dynamic. You know, we didn't have social media 10 years ago, really, maybe 12 at this point, but this is a new thing. Cell phones are new. Delivering, at one point, I worked for a company where we were trying to figure out how to get photos onto cell phones. And, you know, this is back when, you know, that technology was called WAP and it was a big pain. It was really hard. You had to format a photo. 19 different ways to get it to show up on all the different devices in the correct way. And then you had to have some kind of mechanism on the back end that was figuring out which one to send so that you didn't end up with something that was completely messed up by the time it got there. So, you know, that's one of the things that I love about marketing and it takes a lot of time to stay up on this stuff. And I wouldn't expect someone who's out there trying to save the world or make it a better place or clean up the oceans or help the houseless or any of those things. I wouldn't expect them to be able to keep it up with all of this stuff. I mean, I'm not even able to to be quite honest with you. There are plenty of things that I'm that I know that I'm not an expert in in the marketing space. So, yeah, there's just a ton of of information and and stuff that you can do. One of the things that we talk about the most is people tend to get really overwhelmed when they start thinking about marketing because any given day there are thousands of things that you could do from a marketing standpoint to improve the way that your operation is running or showing up or accessing that public that you're trying to get to. Now, what we try to do is help people wrap their arms around the ones that they should be doing that are going to be the most effective for them based upon their goals, based upon the audience that they're trying to reach and based upon the mission that they're trying to bring. And so, instead of, you know, for example, instead of trying to show up and perform really well on eight different social media channels, we're going to help you figure out the one or two or three and help you perform amazing, amazing work in those spaces as opposed to, you know, kind of phoning it in on all of them.
0: I'm going to be the nonprofit person. Well, how would you know which social media channel to use for my nonprofit?
1: Well, the first thing we would ask is what are your goals? Are you trying to drive donations? Are you trying to drive volunteers? What do those avatars look like in terms of who you're trying to reach and and where do they hang out? Yep. Where do they go to get information? What are they on all the time? And then the second thing is, is if you're trying to do donations at all, Facebook is probably where you need to be playing. Baby boomers make up a humongous portion of the giving that is happening. Now, What's exciting is that those numbers are changing a little bit, and some of the up-and-coming generations are becoming more and more engaged at an earlier age. However, they tend to not have as much disposable income to donate to nonprofits, so the boomers are still kind of making up.
0: They could be your volunteer pool.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it really depends. So if you're looking for donors, you know, I would say if you had to do one thing and you were looking for donors and you're, even if you are, you know, a very young facing nonprofit your probably best pool to to reach out to for donations is still the, the boomers so facebook is probably the better play and email that's the other thing that's why email is still incredibly powerful is it is a vehicle by which people have raised their hand so they've opted in they've said i want this so that makes them warmer than social media they also feel more in control of email people are more willing to give out a credit card number than they are to give out their cell phone at one point there was a big push to get cell phone numbers and start marketing to cell phones mm-hmm. via text and people are that's like the last currently the you know the last private device that we all have but email People tend to feel like they have control over it. You can opt out anytime. So if I send you too many things or if you get tired of looking at what I'm sending you, you can always just say, hey, take me off your list. So um, people feel more in control over it. And then if you look at that boomer population, you know those people are still using email quite a lot to to kind of as primary contact device.
0: I think about that nonprofit, this is we really do need to get busy with that. We have an old list of donors and a few email you know, addresses and so on. So if you were to come into that organization, how would you view that email list of past donors?
1: I think lapsed donor emails are very valuable. Again, you spoke to this a little bit ago. It's way easier to get somebody to take a second action than it is to get them to take that Mm. first action. And so a lapsed donor list implies that those people at some point were enthusiastic about your organization. You have their emails, so they were clearly enthusiastic enough to give you that valuable piece of information <clears throat> since they were donors, that then kind of raises that bar even a little bit higher or lowers that bar a little bit in terms of the effort <clears throat> required. so I would say you know we 'd want to look at that list and not discount it you know really go back to it, and you know if you haven 't hit it in a while it 's worth exploring how to craft an, a nice we miss you kind of email. And with email, again, you know, I talked about this with landing pages a little bit, stripping out all of that marketing stuff, making it feel like it's a one-to-one kind of conversation. Again, you're building a relationship and maybe you're rebuilding a relationship, but ultimately, you know, going back to that pond and trying to fish a little bit, a little bit in that pond is a pretty valuable exercise.
0: You know, I'm thinking about the audience in the nonprofit space. They're going like, you mentioned overwhelm a little while ago and they're going like, yep, I'm pretty much at overwhelm. And there was a book recently, book was who not how by Dan Sullivan. And he was talking about, you know, if you go like, well, I need to learn how to do Facebook and I need to learn how to email and learn how to copyright. No, you don't. What you need to do is you need to take and figure out what you're good at and then make sure you take and run across somebody that's really good at what you're talking about that understands the process and do that. And that's back to your investment.
1: Yeah. Not How is a great book. I read it earlier this year, as soon as it came out. And I was just, it's funny because it's such a duh sort of uh, (laughs) of idea. But but it's like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. And I heard of another exercise that you can do, which is to sit down and write down all of the things that you either hate, or you know that you're no good at, and then create a job description for that list. And see what happens, because if you could tick off five things off that list with a single hire, that would be amazing, right?
0: Or you can find VAs, virtual assistants, yeah. and that's really good. You know, it's like I quit doing brain surgery on the weekend and there's an obvious reason, you know, <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants to be, oh, that was my first time. You know, it's, nobody yeah. wants to be that patient. So, you know, to the fourth side of the house on activity, on the inspiring, there's a number of targets, for lack of a better term, on who you want to inspire,
1: Yeah. So in the inspire phase, we really talk about leveraging those people who have engaged. They've taken that final step. So they've become a donor. They've become a volunteer. Maybe they're a beneficiary, but they are very attached to your organization. And what tends to happen, there's a really big human flaw where we get so excited about new things. We're just thrilled to death to add someone new to our list. You know, we're constantly checking how many followers we have and how many. You know, people are on our email list and and all of those things and, and getting a new client or getting a new donor. I mean, that's exciting and I get it and that should be exciting. However, it discounts the value of those people that are already in your system. And so by engaging in the Inspire phase, it's really trying to leverage the opportunities in those people that have already raised their hands, that they've already said, we love your organization. You know, we're willing to give our hard-earned money or our time to this organization. And how do you take those people and keep them engaged and have them spread that word? And that's what the inspire phase is all about. It's just mobilizing that army, for lack of a better word, of people who are thrilled to death with your organization. And so giving them easy ways to engage and spread the word on social media. So leveraging their network to expand your reach, having them come out to a volunteer day. Maybe they're a donor and they've never volunteered. Who's better to ask about if you'd like to volunteer than someone who's given you money and vice versa. If they're a volunteer, you know, who's better to ask for a little donation than somebody who's given you their time give them ways to help you build your organization and again think of these things as relationships ask them questions what was the best email that we sent last month you know and give them a list of the emails that you sent them you know what was the most interesting part of volunteering with us when you came out two weeks ago. Do you know anyone who might be interested in volunteering and would you be willing to share this blog post with them? You know, just leverage every opportunity to take that group that's engaged with your organization and and let them help you.
0: I think about the building community aspect Mm -hmm. of the people that are, you know, if they're volunteering and donating and serving, you know, the nonprofit that you're talking about and like-minded individuals might find community and getting together. And, you know, and they could have somebody says, you need to come see what they're doing. And, you know, and then look around and go, there's all your volunteers and everybody here. And it says, look at the work we're getting accomplished. And certainly given the COVID time, there's a challenge with community right now.
1: Yeah, there really is. And many nonprofits have done a fantastic job in this last year of, I know this word has been overused like crazy, but, you know, pivoting yes. from in-person to virtual just creating those opportunities for people to feel like they're part of, of a community, you know, create a LinkedIn group or create a Facebook group. That's just about volunteers from your organization. And, you know, maybe create another one that's all about donors and invite those people who are part of those groups to join you and start the conversation and facilitate more relationship buildings. People love meeting new people.
0: You know, which, you know, I think for a lot of the nonprofits back again, You know, you could do a Facebook Live discussion with either a donor or a volunteer or something that they've accomplished in the organization and talking about how it helped a group or an individual. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back to the challenge, a lot of folks, well, I can't do that because I don't know how to do that.
1: Yeah, You don't have to.
0: (laughs) You don't have to, you know, which is back to, you know, I keep going back to it. And I've been harassing you for a while here. And from a personal testament, you know, Stu and Relish do an awesome job, you know, and they're great to work with. And, you know, I think if you're out there in the in for-profit or nonprofit space and you're looking for this type of, of approach, I mean, there's not a better guy than doing this than Stu. And, you know, and I wanted to get him on the podcast just to, to take in and, you know, feature the good work that he does. And, you know, for the folks out there in the nonprofit space, I've had some exposure there as well. And I can't think of a time where non-profits are more needed
1: than now. Yeah, it's been an interesting year. And it's been an interesting run up to that year. And I think that there are an awful lot of nonprofits out there doing amazing work. And so if if you're able to give, or your time, or your money, or even just access to your network, and there's a nonprofit that you love, I would encourage you to go out and share their information and support them in any way that you can. And if you're excited about starting a nonprofit, I would in- encourage you to do that too. And we both know some people who can help with that, yep. like Christian Lefer at yep. um, Instant Nonprofit. And you know, ultimately, if if you could just take a moment to think about how you can give back in any way or pay it forward. I think that that makes the world a better place. And so I would encourage everyone to just try and do one act of kindness every day.
0: Stu, you know, to bring this to a close, you know, to remind folks, you know, there's the four pillars that you need to put together for your purpose-driven marketing. You know, that's the attract, connect, bond, and inspire. And, Living, we talk sometimes here about what's your vision and what's your vision of your life and are you significant? Did you make a difference? And certainly, you know, I think the COVID pandemic has been binary. Some folks, it hasn't affected much and some folks, it's profoundly affected them. And so now would be the time, I think, if if you haven't already, to start dusting this off and get the right people in your court to go out there and be significant and make a difference. So Stu, if they want to get a copy of your book, Mission Uncomfortable, how do they do that?
1: So the best way would be to go to missionuncomfortablebook.com. You can download a copy there. We also have a scorecard on uh, missionuncomfortablebook.com that will allow you to kind of assess where you are and where you're trying to go and produce a score for you. So that is something that could be valuable as well as you kind of start your purpose-driven marketing journey.
0: And for them to reach out and find you and relish, how do they find you guys?
1: Well, I can be found... uh, Well, Relish Studio is at relishstudio.com. I can also be found on LinkedIn. It's just by my name, Stu Swineford, or Stuart Swineford, I think, maybe. S-T-U-A-R-T-S-W-I-N-E-F-O-R-D. And I'm always on LinkedIn trying to meet new people and make new connections. So reach out there. Or shoot me an email at stu, S-T-U, at relishstudio.com.
0: Stu, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time and, you know, going out there and doing good work in the nonprofit space. And in my case, in the for-profit space. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Oh, I forgot to plug the podcast. You could also find me at Relish This if you uh, look for that on podcasts.
0: Super. I forgot. I apologize.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's my fault.
0: (laughs) All right, Stu. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Bob. Take it easy. You betcha. Bye.